Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. And welcome to this edition of the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And Tim is apparently, obviously, not here in the studio. He is calling in tonight because he has a bat in his belfry. No, wait. <laughs> so the story is, uh, actually the reason I'm here tonight instead of there is I blew a tire. Uh, and uh, it's not holding air. So I turned around and drove back home and um, get that taken care of. Uh, Jason lives far enough away that I was not willing to sit there and go, sure, fix a flat, I'll fix it. No. <laughs> um, so yeah. uh, so just a thing, thing that happens with cars. On the other hand, uh, what Jason is referring to is last night, I had a visitor um, and discovered there was a bat in my apartment flying around, driving my cat's nuts. And of course... I realized at that point that it was my duty to go out into the night and fight evil um, <laughs> with a few drawbacks. One, I'm not an orphan. Uh, two, I don't have anywhere near the amount of money necessary for such an endeavor. And three, um, to be honest, uh, I need a little more time in the gym before I'm getting anywhere near any of those kinds of costumes because some things are just not flattering Well, um, not, without not, a certain physique. Not Sorry, just... just not just the the fit of the costume, but the skill set. Hey, probably course. needs a little appearance work as well, is a significant right? portion of it, honestly. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just so. Luckily, it's, I still don't know how the bat got into the apartment. Mm -hmm. um, it's an older building. There's probably all kinds of ways it could have happened. But uh, it uh, it was an adventure trying to get. I mean, if you ever had a flying creature in an enclosed space with you. Uh, it's very unnerving, even if you're not frightened of flying creatures, even if you're kind of fascinated by the fact there's a bat in my apartment. I mean, it was yeah. on one hand, it was just like, this is so very odd. Um, but it's also very a little unnerving because it's like at head level looping around. And so um, I have a patio door that opens out uh, and uh, into the wider world. And eventually the bat realized that there was a way out. Um, that didn't have uh, an orange and black leaping thing attempting to take it down uh, from the sky, uh, the cats would not please. <laughs> but I took away their toy. So, yeah. or at least their thing they were trying to treat as a toy. Speaking, uh, speaking of fit, we could, I guess we could start there because tonight's, uh, tonight's topic, uh, since we didn't have an open, tonight's topic is reboots and fans that make the reboots and i want to i want to start because this just came out um there is a a, a fan group a fan production group called bat in the sun and they've done a number of fan films and they have just robin released film? huh they, they do the robin film or the nightwing film uh maybe okay. i'm not sure all of the ones that they've done but they have just released this photograph of their Batman. And this is, uh, I want to say his name is Kevin Porter. Mm -hmm. As Bruce Wayne and Batman. This is a fan film. And this is Aaron Shanky as the Joker. And they do some pretty interesting work. I mean, that... That's a yeah. that's a really impressive bat suit, and yeah. I bring that up because one of the things that we talked about uh, this this came up over the weekend. I was watching a couple of different streams and the discussions and and some comments that were in threads that that we had done, uh, talking about lower decks specifically Star Trek lower decks, and Mike McMahon giving interviews talking about how he's a big fan of the Next Generation. Uh, but in several places, I've seen the description that Alex Kurtzman's Star Trek is made by people who hate Star Trek for people who hate Star Trek to make fun of people who like Star Trek. And 
it's not universally described that way. I, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't are, describe it that way. There are people that okay. like it. But there are also people who look at it and say, well, you know, the people that are making these shows, Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, DC, you know, all, all, of, all of the different ones that are, that are in trouble, Terminator, uh, and you could go back even to non-genre stuff like Starsky and Hutch or the Dukes of Hazard. The people that are making them say they're fans, and the people that watch these kind of look sideways and go, Really? Are you? Because it doesn't seem like you're a fan. Are we defining that word right? So the question that comes up tonight, are self-proclaimed fans the best ones to be making the next iteration of the thing? And I would say it's a mixed bag. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I suppose it depends on the fan. It would, and I think that's something that you need to be very, very clear on, is fans are not a monolith. Fans come in a wide variety of things. Yeah. We're fans of the things that we're fans of for a lot of different reasons, and they may not be the same reasons as the person who's in the same fandom as you. We may like different things about it. And this is where things get interesting, because... Um, I was not at all using Lower Decks as an example. I was not impressed with the first episode. It was a thing that was there, and I was like, okay, all right. Um, and I thought the second episode was better. Uh, you know, it's a scale of didn't have, you know, I was like, eh, two, eh. Um, so, I mean, we're not talking a giant leap here, but I smiled a few times, and there were a couple moments that I thought were funny. And it occurred to me that, and, and this is two episodes in, all right? So, so this is like a theory that can easily go out the window, right? Right. Uh, because two episodes of a 30-minute show, that's nothing, right? And here's the other thing to bear in mind. Well, I'll come back to this in a second. But um, there's two kinds of characters in this show right now, really. Um, if you look at who these characters are, they're all variations of two Star Trek characters, various shades of Kirk and various shades of Spock. Mm. They're the, yeah, because you basically have the, the two types of characters are the ones who are, and I'm not talking about this, the secondary characters, like the chief of security or right. things like that. Right? Right. I'm talking about the main characters of the show, uh, which is really two characters. There's two characters uh, who are the main characters. The other ones are, you know, the spinoff characters, but you look at the captain and you look at, the first officer, and they're they're kind of a uh, they're Kirk and Spock or a Picard and, and uh, uh, Riker. But then you look at the two main characters, and it's the gung ho rules don't matter. I know you know I've got the experience that tells me what to do. And then you've got the buy the book person, that's Kirk and Spock. The problem is these characters are repeated throughout the show. Hold on, hold on, you're making a face here. But the thing is, they're exaggerations of those characters. There are those characters taken to an extreme. And the thing is, is that those characters, um, as, as extremes, are not necessarily interesting to me. I, and as a fan, I look at that and I go, yeah, okay. I would say that your analogy is half applicable maybe because how, how I would see it between Mariner and Boimler for example uh, Mariner is more Finnegan and Boimler is Cadet Lut uh, Cadet Jim Kirk who was a walking stack of books you remember how Gary Mitchell described him in the first sure, sure. That's, and I think that's... that Kirk I could say is more Boimler than and that's, and that's an interpretation I wouldn't argue with yeah but like I said, it was just a good. We're two episodes in. It's a thing that I'm going. Okay, this. Like I said, at least the second episode, there were Star Trek jokes in there. I mean, it was these are Klingon jokes. I recognize the Klingon exaggeration, et cetera, et cetera. I recognize what the what the tension of the humor was, mm. whether or not it lands. But then again, it's comedy. How much does how much does this stuff land? There's a reason the airplane movie worked, uh, and the first police squad movie worked is that they threw so many jokes at you. That if half of them landed, you forgot the half that didn't. 
Um, no. So comedy's tough, but well, so I think my my thing in the second episode, I got one chuckle out of all of it. It was the it was the line that Boimler was was talking about how. Um, you know how he's how he's a terrible terrible Starfleet officer, and he's just not cut out for doing it. And he's sitting in the alley, and of course he's got his you know it's it's you know he's partially unclothed again. That looks like it's going to be the the running gag in this show, which is stupid. But oh, anyway, two episodes in, I know. But he's sitting there commiserating about his fate, and 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 talks about you know I need to just go off to some remote outpost and die and. They, they they can only piece together what happened for my logs. And that got a chuckle out of me because of how many times that's actually happened over the course of all of the different Star Trek series. We done that. We I, I know what that looks like. Well, and that's the same reason that I, I laughed at the, the energy being at the beginning was because anytime an energy being, well, first of all, unless it's Q, anytime an energy being has, or Trelane, Mm. Uh, anytime an energy being has shown up on Star Trek, uh, especially from the next generation on, it's been an episode where you sit there and go, okay, that was unnecessary. No. And, and so the idea that the alien, you know, the alien glowing entity shows up and is promptly just like ignored um, or, you know, taken advantage of in this case, um, you know, I thought, because eh, eh, it's again, it's playing with the trope, but. That said, the thing the thing that bugs me about that one because I was reading a couple of recaps and it was not clear to me and I I you know maybe maybe I missed something, but as this entity loses energy and gets smaller and smaller and smaller and then goes and attacks the captain, when it disappeared, I thought it's inside the captain and then it might be we might never be might... we never saw anything about it ever again. But all of the recaps that I've been seeing have, have gone with the assumption that it died, that it which got is, so small as energy, which to me, which I'm was like, my takeaway. okay, if that's, if, cause that's not clear. And if it did, okay, that wasn't a clear gag. And if it didn't, then you're playing a long game because, we never saw it again in this episode. So if it comes back in the ne in the next episode, you're relying on the fact that people are paying attention to know when it yeah. comes back. Yeah. So we'll have to see what plays out with that. But yeah. The other thing I think is important, especially with looking at a show like this, which again, two episodes in, two, less than an hour of real television. Uh, yeah. Um, let us all cast our minds back to the first season of Next Generation. Or the first season of Discovery, or the first season of um, Deep Space Nine, or the first season... Look, honestly, every Star Trek show, with the exception of the original series, and it's really hard to sit there and go, the original... You know, there's some great episodes in the original series first season, mm -hmm. but it's also a different kind of television than what we, we do now. It right. just is. It's, again, we've talked about this on many episodes, the different kinds of storytelling and how TV, what audiences are expecting from their television. Star Trek was a different beast then. Uh, in terms of episode structure, right? Right. Now we expect different things. And Next Generation did some of it. Uh, Deep Space Nine really leaned into it. Um, Voyager less so. Uh, Enterprise more so. Discovery extremely so with it basically being single, you know, storylines during the entire season. Um, but the first seasons of pretty much every modern iteration of Star Trek from Next Generation on have been questionable at best guys i'm a huge star trek fan i i am a huge star trek fan but if you look at the first season of any of these shows versus the middle seasons or the end seasons of the shows yeah it's a it's a it's this thing happening i would say i would i would agree to you to, i would agree with you to a point i would say that deep space nine probably did not have as rough of a start uh because you're basically doing the Wild West outpost and that kind of show. It's it's a it's a Western again. And you actually have conflict among the cast of lead characters, which is something you didn't have in Next Generation. And so when you have this this new starship and everybody's got to get along and your conflict always comes from without. 
then that creates complications in how you tell a story, what kinds of tor- stories you can tell. Sure. Whereas Deep Space Nine, you're at you're at Fort Ticonderoga on the frontier. I mean, you're you're out there in the middle of nowhere, and and you have to learn how to get along with the people that you don't like, and that that lent itself to more drama and more story. And you have people like, and that's a good example there, where you've got Ron Moore, who was a fan who got into a tour and handed a script and got got hired as a writer and ended up becoming a producer and a showrunner, and he was part of Deep Space Nine, and, and they got to do what they got to do. And then he goes on to reboot Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. So in, in that particular sense, in that, in that case, then, yeah, you put a fan in charge and they kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit and tried to experiment with some stuff. And that's that's where we were seeing some of that evolution of television, like you were talking about, going into the longer serialized arcs as opposed to just episode by episode story of the week type of thing. But also remember that the re- fan reaction to Deep Space Nine, because fand- fandoms as a rule do not like change. Mm. And there's a reason for that. It's because you're a fan of this thing the way it is. Um, so if you change it too much, yeah. it stops being the thing you're a fan of. And this is one of, this is one of the, the things we get with reboots and, and remakes and, and some of the generational issues like Starsky and Hutch, we'll come back to in a sec. Um, the, the, the fan reaction at the time Cast your mind back to those 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 distant days of of pre everything's instant internet. No, no, no. Response. They're called those thrilling days of yesteryear. Days of yesteryear. You gotta get it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, do we have a do we have a, a radio bit for that that we can do? I you uh, know what I should I should get that I should get that. Good, uh, because a lot of people were sitting there and saying two things. One, it's on a space station. What yeah. kind of stories are we getting on a space station? And I mean there were fans were vocally upset about this not being on a ship it's on a station now this is well before anybody had seen an episode because yeah. this is how fandom reacts and this is something you have to think about when the fans react you have to ask your, i no you don't have to i recommend <laughs> i recommend as a fan ask yourself a question um is does it is this really an idea that you hate or is it just different than what you want personally i remember thinking you know i remember asking the question to myself how are they going to do that because star trek to me was you know you're out on the space you you know the final frontier you're exploring space that you've never been to before um Mm -hmm. but i didn't reject it out of hand i was okay you know uh, let's give it a try we'll see what happens yeah Um, but the other thing is is that people were there were people who and this wasn't as anyway near as large, but there were people who were upset that the main character wasn't going to be a captain. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, what a thing! I was like, oh, does it matter? That didn't bother me so much because space station is, you know, space station K seven didn't have a captain. You know, you had a, a, a what was it, director Lurie. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you had you had different ranks on different stations, so you know, it, it didn't strike me as unusual that you didn't have a captain there it kind of made sense you'd either have a commander or you've had a commodore depending but for a on lot of people a lot of people apparently it didn't yeah. i mean because again it again it was it was different than what they wanted uh and you run, i think you run into this anytime you and star trek's a great example of this because they bring back the show periodically whether it's next generation and again as much as i love next generation i think there's so many episodes to praise the first season is not full of it's mm-hmm. full of a lot of poorly written episodes. And some of that came out of taking uh, start the, huh, the TV show that didn't happen. Phase two. And, uh, and turning it into episodes for this, um, which, you know. Although uh, a lot of the phase two scripts didn't come in until the writer's strike, which was, right. I think, what, season three or four? Well, and the, the, the unfortunate part is that we remember all the really great episodes of Next Generation, and they are really from about the third season on. Yeah. Um, and, and, but the thing is, is that, you know, TV shows, whether it's Star Trek or uh, a legal show or, you know, a romantic comedy or family drama, 
the first seasons are often very, very rocky. Mm -hmm. And what part of that is, is that for all the great ideas that you have in developing your TV show, until it goes live on the air and people actually watch your show and you get reactions from the audience, um, you don't know how it's going to be perceived. Whatever your intentions were, whatever your plans were, however cool you thought it was, if you find out that the audience thinks your two romantic leads have no chemistry whatsoever, you got a problem. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, if, if it's not the kind of TV where you're looking back and going, you know, how many people look back at a TV show like Friends right now and go, you know, Ross is a monster. And, and, but at the time, people tuned into that show every week religiously. I mean, it was, it's one of those things where, you know, um, we look at things with different eyes, right? Right. But, um, you know, and I think that sometimes you look at something like Discovery, where the folks who stopped watching in season one might have enjoyed season two a lot more. They may not have ever watched it because they were lost in season one. Same thing like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You and I sat there and went, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. got in significantly better and a really engaging show from the second season on. Right. But if you walked away in the first season, were you coming back to know that? It's the same thing with a show like Discovery. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and Discovery, I saw the first episode and I checked out and I didn't have any interest in it. And I know you've told me the second season gets better. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have... You know, in that particular case, you have people who claim to be fans. You know, you've got, uh, you know, Kurtzman. Has, I think Kurtzman is the one, because I had heard at one point, and I don't remember where I heard this, and I don't know if it if it's applicable to Kurtzman or if it was somebody else, but I had heard that one of the producers on the team, what made Beyond, had not seen Star Trek when he was making Star Trek. And I want to say it was Kurtzman, but I can't swear to that. You said on, on, on Star on Trek Star Beyond? Beyond? Yeah. Was Kurtzman part well, of that with, with I, Bad Robot? I, I, I want to say he was a producer. Well, yeah, Bad, Bad Robot. Bad Robot was part of all of it. Well, yeah, no, I know. But I wasn't. I don't know if Kurtzman was part of that group or not. I think he was one of the producers on it, but I'm okay. not sure. Because um, I want to say he was one of those. And I want to say he was the one that's, you know, I, I've never seen Star Trek. So how do you make a Star Trek film without knowing what Star Trek is? Well, okay. So the, the thing is, is that Star Trek Beyond of the three films, in my opinion, is mm -hmm. the best of the three films. It's the most like Star Trek, air quotes here, Yeah. Uh, in terms of the cast behaving like the characters we expect them to behave like in terms of the feel of the story, in the kind of optimism. Um, and that's another example of not a fan making it because J.J. Abrams is a Star Wars fan. Yeah. And there is a basically just understanding across pretty much all of reality that he made, he rebooted Star Trek so that he could audition for Star Wars. Well, and I would say that, yeah, and I'd, I'd said early on that the 2009 J.J. Trek, the first one of his three, was basically his Star Wars audition in Star Trek cosplay. He just painted, he just painted right. it over with Star Trek colors, but it wasn't a Star Trek movie. And that's, that's a case where you have somebody who's clearly not a fan, admits to not being a fan, you give him the reins to make something that he doesn't know, doesn't, doesn't understand, didn't enjoy, what kind of a reboot are we going to get? And, and whether beyond was the closest of the three to original Star Trek or not, by the time you get there, you've already got two movies down and you've lost an audience. And now right. you're sitting there with Sherry Redstone and uh, uh, whoever's whoever's in charge of of uh, Paramount now. On the one hand, you've got the you know CBS All Access saying it's a hit, it's a hit. Star Trek's great, everything's doing wonderful and whatnot. And then we hear that Canada, you know, Lower Decks has lost half its audience week to week just in the two episodes it's aired so far. And you have the head of Paramount Film Division coming out saying, we have to figure out Star Trek, how to reboot Star Trek. So sure. is it a well, hit and is it great or is it not? Because now that the merger has happened, 
it's all one thing again. But these aren't binaries, though. The thing is, is that if you have three, if you have three films, all of which made money, by the way, all of the first two films made a lot of money. Star Trek Beyond wasn't a bomb. It just wasn't as successful as the other three. And the studio calculus is, it's not, <laughs> is it a good movie? Mm. It's, does it make back X amount of dollars, the, the target amount we want it to make, right? That's how, the, that's how they think. It's, it's a numbers game. It's money. This is how the world, this is how the filmmaking world works. It hurts your soul sometimes to realize that it's not about the quality of the film for studios at the end of the day. You want it to be, but that's not how the world works. That's not how the finance arm of the studio looks at things, and they're the ones who greenlight the budget for the next picture. Yeah. So you've had three films, um, all of which made money. Um, the reviews for Beyond, of course, it was the best reviewed of the films, I, I think, overall. But Simon Pegg is a huge Star Trek fan. He helped with the script. So that's part of it. I think that's part of the reason the tone was, was much, much better. But when you sit there and try and line up the fourth film and you run into the fact that Chris Pine is a star now and he's like, you know, in demand of other studios, he's got certain salary demands and all that stuff falls apart. Suddenly you have to decide what you're going to do. You've just, you've rebooted the original crew. Okay. Right. You can't do that again. Not yet. All right. Maybe you can do it 20 years down the line, but you can't do it now. Don't do the reboot Spider-Man every five years thing. <laughs> but you can't do that. So the thing is, is what, what's, what's your next step? And yeah. as a studio, you have to ask yourself, I'm not surprised I don't have an answer here. Because quite frankly, um, your options are um, uh, reboot one of the, the, the other shows. No. no, don't reboot Next Generation. Don't reboot Deep Space Nine. No, um, you know, you've already got if you want to go back to a show, do something like Picard, where you go back and pick up uh, Deep Space Nine decades later, I'd be interested to see what the universe of Deep Space Nine looks like uh, after this time. Yeah. Um, see, if it but, were me, I I have always been interested in a general Starfleet anthology show. So basically, sure. because the way the bridge is designed, and I mean, and not, not from the Starfleet standpoint, but the actual physical building the set design, right. it's all modular. And the way you look at Star Trek II, the bridge set, it's the same set. They just moved the pieces, the different stations around on the circle. So mm -hmm. you could you could do that. You could do three episodes on the USS Toronto and three episodes on the USS Cochise and, and two episodes on the USS Seacar and then go back to the, the, you know, and you can bounce around from ship to ship to ship with different crews. And expand your story potential for a lot of different ships in Starfleet. And it could be, you know, a Miranda class over here and a Constitution class over here and, you know, whatever. And I would be perfectly fine with that. I don't see why they haven't done that. Well, the, the guy who produced um, the uh, Wrath of Khan uh, actually has an idea. I can't remember which site I saw this on, but he's, he Robert was interviewed. He, yeah, he said that he had an idea. For a brand new original cast, no, no connection to the existing, you know, mm -hmm. cast or crews or ships. Brand new show. And he said, you know, I have an idea. I've I've talked to people about it. We'll see what happens. And well, quite frankly, Nicholas Meyer has got that uh, SETI Alpha Five miniseries that apparently is still maybe kind of a thing because Robert Meyer Burnett was going to do a reading of the script. Mm -hmm. and got a copyright ping on it and he had to take this video down. Yeah. So, so I think that might be a thing too. So I think that, you know, the, it, from a studio standpoint, you have to ask yourself, where are we going to go from here? Because big budget films, and here's the other thing that you have to remember as a fan. Um, as much as we all want the studio to be making a film for the fans, mm -hmm. there's a problem with that. Is that fandoms while large, um, are not the entire audience. And the balancing act for studios, and hopefully for the writer and the director, preferably for the writer and the director, is find that sweet spot. 
where you can give the fans what they want, but also appeal to a larger audience who has no idea what this is. And you can see examples of that with things like the Marvel movies. The comic book readership audience compared to the wider film audience, there's a vast disparity in size here. I mean, as much as as much as those of us who love comic books and read comic books on a regular basis would like to think so, the larger movie movie audience is bigger than us. And you can't, as much as we want a studio to sit there and say, "I make," you love hearing hearing a director say, "I'm making it for the fans." You love hearing a writer say that, but the the reality is, is they can't. They have they're making it for you and the broader audience. Uh, they have they have to appeal to that broader audience because there isn't enough dollars in that core fandom. No matter how much money we want to throw at something, there's just not enough dollars there to make two hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, sorry, there just isn't. Well, and and real quick, just as a, te- a technical thing, I keep getting warnings here. Um, apparently, our bit rate for the signal going out to the stream is all over the map. So some people are going to experience some buffering and I apologize for that. I'm, I've been playing with some of the settings here. Um, and apparently we're sending, uh, a lot more data than it's supposed to be. And the settings in my, the settings in my broadcast software don't have anything, don't have any numbers that resemble what's actually being sent out right now. So, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I'm like, um, okay, what's happening? But occasionally we may buffer a little bit. That's that's something that I'm trying to get a handle on here, but I don't I don't know that we're going to be able to. So it's apologies, Skynet. yes. So anyway, but but other thing other than Star Trek, you have things like uh, Terminator, the new Terminator Dark Fate movie, where everybody's also excited about this term this new Terminator movie. And it's not well-received by fans. It's not well-received by critics um, for various different reasons. And, and you can either get into, you know, the, the story aspects of getting rid of John Connor and replacing him with some other person who's, who's the new MacGuffin or whatever. Or, you know, whether you buy into the identity politics argument or you look at the it's a bad, a badly written story or, you know, whatever. There. Yeah. Franchise fatigue. The idea that the people who are making it say they're fans. I mean, you get James Cameron coming back as part of it. I mean, it, it's his baby. But then you look at Alien Covenant. With Ridley Scott, who made the the original thing, and the stuff that he's making now as prequels, not necessarily reboots, but the prequels that he's making, have kind of been looked at a little sideways. And you start to wonder, okay, who's actually the right person to continue making these? And then that begs the question... Should we even be making these? Because now we get news today. We've got a reboot of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Will Smith and and Kevin Hart. And I have to roll my eyes and look at the ceiling and think, why in the world are we rebooting everything? Is Is Hollywood so creatively bankrupt at this point that the only thing that we can do is remake everything? If you're going to do that, just go back... I mean, Jaws has been in the theaters again. The Empire Strikes Back has been in the theaters again. Ghostbusters has been back in the theaters. Just re-release the bloody thing and be done with it. The problem is, is that we're you, you and I, and a lot of fans look at this from a creative standpoint. And while that is a lovely idea, if you know anything about the politics of studios and how money gets made in movies. The creative side, and you can get, you will hear screenwriters bemoan this again and again and again. There's every screenwriter who has ever sat there and had a successful film project has a story about the script they turned in that by the time the film made it to the screen, they didn't recognize their own work because the people that paid for the rights to that script had it rewritten and rewritten and rewritten because of focus groups and this and that other thing until the point that it didn't resemble what they wrote at all. 
And the market, a lot of the times, the people who are in charge of the studios, who are green light projects, they're just not the creative people. They're the, and that's, they might be creative in their own way. I'm talking about they're not writers and filmmakers themselves. And, yeah. and you know, they're, they're folks who are looking at things from a business standpoint. And when you look at numbers, it's the, it's the female-led superhero movie thing in reverse, right? Basically, it's, you know, Supergirl didn't do well 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Yeah. And, and oh, God, Catwoman proved it all. You know, it's like, okay, no. All right. This, that's how they look at the world. And it's the Hollywood, same thing for a remake. Yeah, Hollywood always learns the wrong lessons. Um, and the, uh, the, the flip side of that is this was really successful and made buckets full of money. Let's do 12 more of them just like it. Well, and that's the problem. It's the just like it part. Yeah. So you end up with two things, that you two extremes. The just like it thing where, and this is, I think, one of the problems with the Terminator franchise, is that at the end of the day, the story is the same. Every mm -hmm. single movie. Yeah. There's no, I mean, and when they, and when they try and change it, um, not the uh, Genesis, Giant Gene. Yeah, Gen Genesis. Oh, I know how I know it's right. Um, you know when you tr when you try and make a significant change to the story, you sit there and go, "Okay, now John Connor's the bad guy." You know, I mean, of, of course, fans reacted the way that they did, but at least they tried to do something different. It didn't work. Yeah, I think it was a bad choice on a on a story level. But at least they tried to do something different because, quite frankly, you look at the films and what is the storyline from the first Terminator film to the most recent Terminator film? It's the same story. The one and thing. We're, go ahead. Bring it back Arnold Schwarzenegger, too. Yeah. The one thing that I liked about Terminator Genesis was the recreation of the original scenes. That was fun. And, and it was, yeah. So just slightly twisted a little bit because the timeline skewed a little bit now with, you know, Sarah actually knowing what's going on this time around. But, you know, all of the, all of the bits and pieces of their arrival back into that time and the recreation of what we saw in the first movie now i i thought that was fun but yeah you're right when when john connor turns into the bad guy i thought it was a little bit too much subversion of the the tropes um but I, at I least at least it was trying to change the dynamic at least it was yeah. trying to change it wasn't trying to follow the same stories and the flip side of that is you get something like alien the alien prequels is just because just because he made the first film, that doesn't mean that Scott actually understands what made the first two films work. And that is there was a sense of mystery. And I will I, I will I will maintain that Michael Fassbender is just wonderful in both films. He is a fantastic, you know, the 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 character of this psychotic android. Mm -hmm. You know, the the example again of, of artificial intelligence done wrong. Um, or right, but wrong. Um, he's, his performance is fantastic. The problem is, is that we didn't need to know how Darth Vader came to be. We don't need to know. We don't need origin stories all the time. Yeah. And unfortunately, what Scott, I think this, the lesson that Scott took from this, and I think one of the reasons that the stories don't work as well, aside from the fact if you go to an alien planet, you leave your spacesuit on. You don't know, don't care. It's leave it on. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that we did not need to know how the aliens were the 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 xenomorphs were created. We didn't need to know that. Well, and you, you mentioned producers, you know, the people in charge, maybe not necessarily being the creative ones. And, you know, certainly really Scott is, is creative in his own right. Yes. Uh, but then you look at somebody like Kathleen Kennedy, who has worked with Spielberg and Lucas for all of these years. And 
on the face of it, when she got named president of Lucasfilm, everybody kind of went, "Oh, well, that's a natural choice. Of course, it would be her. That that we everything everything was fine." But I don't think that Kathleen Kennedy has a creative bone in her body, and I don't think that she's necessarily a fan of Star Wars to the point where she can manage the fram. I mean, we've seen essentially the destruction of the franchise under her watch and whether except you want to bl- destroyed well certain fans certain fans have walked away from it the last jedi and was the last jedi was a bad movie and it was poorly received mm-hmm. and the rise of skywalker made a huge mess of things and there are a lot of people that have completely walked away from star wars that i'm done with it as long as kathleen kennedy is there i'm not going to watch any other star wars ever But then, on the other side of that, you've got Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, who have proven as fans... Isn't Kathleen Kennedy above them? Yeah, but she's not not involved in The Mandalorian, as as far as I know. That's Favreau's baby. But if if he's working for her, then yes, yes, he is. That's how how these these structures and companies work. I know, I know, but... I have also heard... No, 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 hold on. I know, but I've also heard from a couple of different places... That Kathleen Kennedy is done, and she's there pretty much in name only. I don't know how much yeah, how yeah, true yeah, that yeah. is, yeah, but okay. her contract's so, done. So here's here's, and this may very well be true, but um, yeah, again. And as far uh, as the creative uh, the creative side of things, Favreau's running the show. He's the showrunner. Kathleen Kathleen Kennedy might be involved in some way, shape, or form to sign off on things, but he's doing the show. Okay, Filoni's, but that's that's, you know, that's her. Jo- that's actually her job. So she didn't. Ru- she's not ruining anything. She's just signed off on things that people didn't like. Well, you're and not. You're not going to. You're not going to score any points defending her. I'm not defending her. <laughs> I'm telling this. I'm not. I'm not defending. I'll def- I, I, it's anybody in that role. It's always amused me how many people say it's Kathleen Kennedy's fault. Except that it's it's not one person who does any of these things. It's not. That's not how this works. It's not how any of these industries work. Now, now you have someone at the top who signs off on it. You and I have been involved in this process. That's not always the case. But not on the studio level, Jason. If you have a studio head who comes in and interferes and says, take this scene out, put this scene in. There's no question about that. Yeah, but that creates problems for the franchise if your studio head interferes with the creative process of making whatever film is being made. And there's no question about that. But as far as I can see, the complaints I have seen about Kathleen Kennedy, and to be honest, I don't care who's running the Star Trek franchise or Star Wars franchise or the Doctor Who franchise. I don't care who or any of these franchises. I don't care who's running it. I care about the actual story that I'm getting to watch. Right. Um, but considering but that's influenced that, by who's running it. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. Not always. Sometimes it's the person at the top who's going, yeah, go do the thing. Here's the money. And sometimes they, sometimes they, you know, how many films have we seen executive interference with? <laughs> no, I know, I know. It happens I know. all the time. But it's also this thing where we tend to blame the person at the top for, you know, things that, A, they sit there and go, yes, okay, go do your, go do your movie, J.J. Abrams, who's made all this money, who's made all these decisions and has seen successful things. And guess what? J.J. Abrams has had his fair share of films that weren't great. He's had some real hits. No question. But giving it sometimes giving these folks uh, the ability to run off and go make the movie that they want to make isn't necessarily a good idea. No. You know, so, I mean, the the blaming these individual people, it's like we watched we watched people blame and on the Doctor Who side of thing. We got people blaming Chibnall now. We had people blaming Moffat then. We've had people playing Davies that, you know, before him. We have people playing, you know, all the way back to the original series. The showrunner is always destroying the show. It's ruining the show. The show is ruined. Star Trek is ruined forever. Star Wars is ruined. No, it's not. For the, this is always, it's always so hyperbolic and so well, over the top and overwrought. Yeah, None of I this. Haven't, I haven't heard, I haven't heard very many people saying that it's ruined forever. I'm, I'm hearing Oh, more, I've heard. I'm hearing more. It's, it's damaged under the current people's watch but going back to star trek going back to star trek and the feature films yeah okay star trek survived 
Star Trek survived Star Trek the motion picture, the cut that hit theaters. <laughs> okay? It's a dull movie. It's a dull movie. I love Star Trek. The director's cut is a significant improvement. Yeah, it's but much the, better. And I, and I went to that film, and, and I, I used to have the Star uh, Trek uh, movie playset mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and, and the action figures, but it's a dull movie. Yeah. It's dull. Well, and you turn you turn around and look at Star Trek Two. That's made by Nicholas Meyer, who had never seen Star Trek before he got hired for the project. Exactly, and he Star sat Trek. for a weekend and and sat and watched the whole show to try to figure it out and and pick out okay where do we where do we go from here? Right. So you know, f- fans in charge, not fans in charge. It's a mixed bag. It's a very mixed bag, and I think that the, one of the things that we we tend to forget as fans. Um, because we're fans. We, and again, we like the thing that we like about the thing that we like, mm. you know, we're, you know, if, if you're a fan of Spock, if you're a fan of data, if that's the, if that's your favorite character in the show, if, if you, in the next movie, that character is done wrong or played by an actor you don't think is doing, you know, it gets recast or whatever. It's the, you know, it's the reboot cast or whatever it is that is going to upset you because it's not the thing that made you a fan of the show. Right. And, and I think that's one of the things that you look at, say Star Starsky and Hutch or Dukes of Hazard or any of these Charlie's angels. Although Charlie's angels is a more successful example of that. Yeah. I would say that one was probably less of a parody satire than Starsky and Hutch Dukes of Hazard. It was definitely a comedy, but it wasn't as much. Yeah, it was, the yeah. thing is, is that, and we talked about this before, is that Starsky and Hutch and Dukes of Hazard, the people who were fans of those shows that made those movies were fans of those shows, not when those shows were on. Or they were children when those shows were on. And most of them came back and watched it when they were adults. And the difference in storytelling, again, mm-hmm. it comes back to that, how storytelling changes where some of that stuff where audiences walked it, watched it very unironically because that was the kind of TV that was on. Yeah. But you look at it 20 years later and go Starsky and Hutch, this show is ridiculous. And you think it's a comedy, even though it was not meant to be. Except it was, it holds, it was it a holds drama up, with funny bits. Yeah. But it holds up better than, than some people like to make out. Cause sure, I, you know, sure. I, it, cause it's a, it's a cop show and, and it's a buddy cop show and those but have again, a particular were, prestige to them. But again, you come back to somebody who they became a fan of it because of the way that they saw it. Yeah. And that's what they brought to their creative process, not necessarily realizing and having no one along the way, sit there and look at them and say, maybe no, <laughs> <laughs> because they, 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 brought that vision of what their fandom was yeah. to the screen. And I think that you you end up seeing sometimes that works. Bringing back Doctor Who, Russell Davies bringing back his idea of what Doctor Who was from when he was a kid was successful. A lot of the Moffat years doing the same things were successful. Chibnall doing, doing something else. There's all these different ways of looking at this stuff. And, you know, but, Sometimes it's actors' choices. Peter Capaldi playing the third, the twelfth Doctor the way that he he played the twelfth Doctor is because he was a fan from when he was a kid. Yeah, you know, and Matt Smith never having seen the show until until he was cast, and then he goes back and watches the Patrick Troughton stuff, and that's you know, he, but he was watching a different period of the show too. It ends up being, I think, their times being a fan is incredibly helpful. And there are times when it's just, maybe you, maybe you shouldn't. Um, yeah, because sometimes you can get in your own way. Yeah, I think I think that's because again, I think that you know the fan, the thing that we love about what what is the thing you love about Star Trek? No. I mean, is it the it's same thing that I love about Star Trek? It's different for everybody. I know exactly, and that's the problem is that you know we end up with this like. You know, you you see these things posted on. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I only watch music videos on YouTube is it's like, you know, 
know, so, you're missing out. So in, you're missing out. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Same reason. Same reason I'm on Twitter as little as I am because it's 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 a disaster. Um, it's the you know it's the so and so or or you know such and such a show is ruined or such and such a franchise is destroyed and and blah, 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 so and such. And the thing is, is that these are people who have this is their opinion, and for them. I'm not. I I can't argue with their personal opinion on it because that's their personal opinion. Mm-hmm. But in the broader scope of things, no, the first season of Next Generation did not ruin Star Trek, but it's a crappy first season. They made so many more better, stronger episodes that really let those characters shine. That first season, if that first season was on the air now, it would be canceled. <laughs> there would be no second season of Star Trek: The Next Generation because. That's just not how TV works now. Yeah. Um, the fact that you know we may not, you know, lower decks may not get a second season if the con- if it continues to not get any better than you know it's got it's got to get better or there's not going to be a second season. Now that well, said, and, and given if if given the fact that it doesn't have international distribution, that's going to hurt. Given the yeah. fact that you know the the word you know the the leaked information from Bell Media up in Canada showing that the drop from week one to week two is forty six percent the audience, sure that doesn't bode well for them actually being able to get international distribution. People don't Probably like not. the show. Yeah, well, so, and the thing is that you know we don't we also don't give shows the time to find their footing the way we used to. Um, this is something that if you, historically a lot of TV shows, again, we come back to the first season of a lot of TV shows, mm-hmm. um, are vastly different than the things that we remember fondly about those shows. If you remember TV shows like Boston Legal or um, even shows like Law and Order, which was on for, there are people who were children when the show was on the air and had children, <laughs> um, you know, in Bill between Street the Blues. Yeah, exactly. The shows evolved significantly from their first season. Some of the elements were still there. Yeah. Some of the core elements probably may have run through the entire show. But there were significant changes. And I'm not even talking casting, where people people come in and out with these long-running shows. I'm talking about just what the shows were about. And back when there were only three channels, um, you had to make a really god-awful piece of television for it not to get its full... Mm-hmm. season there were some prime examples of that um and and you saw some shows that that you kind of wish hadn't gone out. the second season of buck rogers for example i was thinking about this the other day the buck rogers yeah. um quite frankly um they were playing with some interesting ideas uh you know they had changed they complete but they had completely changed the format of the show yeah it became and, it became a star trek clone at that point and and some and the viewers didn't care for that but the thing was, they were playing with some interesting ideas. They never got a chance to finish it. Yeah. And you see this sort of stuff where, but still, you know, you get these shows that, quite frankly, if they were on now, we'd get three episodes in and they get yanked. You know, Sci-Fi Channel would have canceled them six episodes in and we'd never hear anything more about it. Um, and, you know, you it's, it's much easier to do that with a show now mm-hmm. um, than it was then. And so we don't, we're not as patient with our entertainment as we used to be because we've got so much of it. There's no, if you want, if you, if you don't like this Star Trek show, hey, guess what? There's going to be another one coming along in a little bit. Well, and not only that, but you've got what the fans are making with things like Star Trek Continues and Star Trek Phase 2 and Star Trek Farragut. And you look over at uh, at Star Wars. You've got the Kenobi fan film with Jamie Acosta, and uh, mm-hmm. and and you have I don't know if there's Gal- if there's Battlestar Galactica fan films. I haven't seen those. There's some there's some um, Mortal Kombat fan films. There's uh, there's Power Rangers fan films, and some of them are fairly good. I mean, Batman Dead mm-hmm. End is an excellent fan, fan film. That juxtaposes Batman and Alien and Predator all in the same the same one. It's really good, and and Bat in the Sun has got some other productions that are that are that are really good along those lines too. Uh, and I think wasn't there a term uh, a Punisher fan film that had Ray Stevenson in so. it? Yeah, right there might have been, might have been. 
the, the, yeah. the cool thing about some of those characters, and Batman's an interesting example of an iconic character where you almost have to work to get him wrong. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many different versions of Batman over time that if you just lean into the one that you're doing yours about. Right. Um, but at the same time, you have a flip side to that. You want something like The Shadow. There, I've seen, there's quite a few fan films online for The Shadow. Um, and all of them, in my opinion, as a huge fan of the Shadow books and the DC Comics run. Mm -hmm. um, there's been various comic companies have done Shadow runs. I think Dark Horse did a long run with the Shadow. I think Dynamite's got him now. Dynamite's got him now. Um, there's, you know, um, there's a lot of things you can do with that character. And yet every found film I've watched, I've sat there and gone, no. Nah. And some of them have looked great. There's a really, there's a, a camera who did it, but it's, it's very much, it's almost a horror film, which I, I, the shadow is great for leaning into the horror side. There's mysticism, uh, there's mind control, um, there's murder and revenge. There's all these things you could do that have a, a kind of a horror taste. And yet the tone is wrong yeah. to me. Now, the shadow is also an example of a franchise that it's really, really hard. You know, we've had one movie since it was a serial back in the 40s um and yet it's a fan it's inspired the shadow inspired batman uh the punisher can trace its roots back to the shadow um you have people like sam raimi who wanted to make a shadow movie and couldn't do it so he made the dark man films mm -hmm. um you've got uh, you had, you know the you had the, the shadow movie that came out that wanted to be you know the shadow in the Batman universe uh, of Tim Burton's Batman universe, which didn't work because it's, yeah. you know, well, I mean, and, it's, and you get into that, you dark, you mentioned Sam Raimi with dark man and you know, the fan of one thing doesn't get to make that thing. So he goes and makes his own thing. You know, mm -hmm. George Lucas being a fan of flash Gordon wanting to make a reboot of flash Gordon, but couldn't get the rights. So he goes off and makes his own flash Gordon. Mm -hmm. But, that circles us back to why make a reboot of planes, trains, and automobiles? Why do another fill in the blank? Go make your own. If you're a fan of this one, go do something of your own and put your own spin on this idea and do it again. Because to me, I've said for years, there are no original ideas there are only original combinations of elements where you take because you know man versus man man versus nature man versus himself it all you know it all boils back down to that big story thing right? yeah and so you know everything that we've seen we've seen before you know it's just like in Battlestar Galactica all this has happened before and will happen again it's just how you package it mm -hmm. what kind of characters you put into those situations what kind of situations you have that's where the originality happens is in those that that mix of those elements. So why why try to reinvent the wheel? Why not because come up with your own vehicle and put those wheels on it and do something new? Um, two reasons, and they're both sad. <laughs> the first is you already own the script. Yeah, that's money. The second is, is there is a mindset that I don't necessarily agree with, but I understand. And that is you look at a moment where a film like, say, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles captured the comedic abilities of two really funny people. Mm. And, and between the dialogue and the performances and everything about that film, um, and if you haven't seen the film, folks, go back in time. You know, you're you're a younger you're a younger viewer of this show, and you haven't seen it. It's been a while since the film came out. It's yeah. been a couple decades, right? Um, Thirty years, yeah. something like that. Disturbingly, um, pretty close. My so, my worry is that we're in a we're in a phase, and I and I and I sincerely hope that it's a phase. But we're in a phase right now creatively, I think Hollywood is, where you're looking at what's going on in the in the overall broad strokes of the culture. 
And when I see planes, trains, and automobiles with Will Smith and, and Kevin Hart, my immediate thought is, well, let's remake it, only they're black. And that's not the reason to remake that movie. Well, if, That's if a terrible were, if, reason to remake that movie. Oh, well, again, there's, they shouldn't be remaking it at all, in my opinion. Well, I agree with that. But, Although, to be, but to it's be honest, the only one. you could do a story like the original film, inspired by the original film, updated because of, um, I got news, folks, the world of travel leaving aside travel restrictions right now and all yeah. that sort of stuff. I mean, just if it was normal circumstances, the world of travel is different 30 years later. Yeah. Right. You could play with that a lot. How many people actually take a train? There's still a lot of people who take trains, but you know, it's, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the impact. And trust me, considering that Wichita where I grew up is one of the locations in, in the film, in the original film, uh, it was not actually filmed in Wichita because it's the largest city in Kansas. <laughs> um, but it's also uh, definitely, if you were to set it in Wichita now, yeah. um, it would be even less so big fields that they show, uh, the, the wasteland. Although the airport is out there a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think that, there, there, and there's some of it. There's, uh, you, know, you know as well as I do that there is the elevator pitch. Sell it to me in 30 seconds. Sell it yeah. to me in a sentence. Sell it to me. And so literally, I guarantee you, at some point, there was a um, planes, trains, and automobiles, but, but it's black actors. And then the question is, ah, but which black actors? They say, ah, oh, we get Will Smith. And they go, you sold me at Will Smith. Okay. but Because to, he's but a to star. But to remake it and to, and to race switch it simply for the, for the sake of doing it, I mean, well, I agree with you. They shouldn't be remaking it to the first place. But unless they do a completely new iteration of it. You'd think they would. You would think they would. But but again, you know. it also depends on who they're making the, making the film for. Because if they're making the film for the equivalent of that audience now, it's a different audience. Because the target of the, the, the comedies, unless they are super broad, and I don't necessarily mean broad in humor, I mean mm -hmm. broad in, in, in their appeal, a lot of times are to a narrower audience than everybody. So they're hitting the, they're hitting the 20 to 45 age group, or they're you know, um, grumpy old men, yeah. okay? Grumpy old men is not targeted at twenty-year-olds. Grumpy old grumpy old men are the fan is targeted of the people who know who Walter Matthau is, right? And Jack it's Kennedy. an age group. Yeah, and so the so the folks who know who um, you know John Candy and Steve Martin are, and we're fans of them. Here's a newsflash. The majority of people under the age of 30 is not that demographic. I know. I'm just saying, you know, I just say I just don't see the reason to reboot so many different things. Oh. Not just not just that, but it's just it all comes, of it, it. It's it's the it's the it's yeah. the investment versus return argument. Yeah, because you own the script. Yeah. You own you own the you don't have to pay you don't have to pay those pesky writer people. Who, who, you know, want you to sit there and make their script what they wrote. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know. And in a lot of cases, you're using, it's the cynical thing where you use the cachet of the original to sell your new one. Yeah. And that is, let's face it, folks. That's just marketing. Yeah. I mean, I... Ugh, I hate I hate I, to be the bearer of bad know, news, but I you know, know how this works. I know how this works. And speaking of investment and speaking of of marketing, let's uh, let's market uh, a way that you can invest your money but save some a little bit. Sci-fi for me ten, the promo code when you uh, when you check out at superherostuff.com, you'll get ten percent off. And if you would like to support us. Uh, with a little bit of that savings, we do have an account over at Subscribestar.com. 
and uh, you could throw some uh, some coinage our way. Uh, we're I'm still getting error messages, and we're uh, we're into an hour. Here's what I'm going to do. We have I have recorded this, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the live stream uploaded, but I'm also going to upload a clean recording of this episode. Uh, so in the replay, you have your choice to see the one that buffers or the one that doesn't. So uh, then hopefully we get this thing figured out. I have no idea what it's doing right now. I've got numbers blowing up at me all over the place saying, this is not the setting that you should be at. So I'm going to go play with that, and, and we will we will come back next week uh, because next week is our DC Comics discussion because DC Fandom is Saturday, and uh, we will have some better idea of what's going on over there. Uh, it, the, 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 the pieces continue to fall over there. Uh, so we're collecting information and gathering our notes, and, and we'll be ready to have that conversation next Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel, 8 a.m., uh, 8 a.m., 8 p.m. I have news. No, no, sorry. 8 p.m., uh, uh, Central Time next Monday. And tomorrow night we've got uh, Star Trek and Orville news with Triple Bites. And uh, live from the bunker all week. Tomorrow, David Levine will be our guest. And on Thursday, Christopher Carter, Lolita Rimnanis, and Michael McQuiston talking about the music that they composed for the uh, Warner Brothers animated projects. Uh, they're currently working on Young Justice number four, season four. Um, I don't know that they'll be able to talk to us about it very much, but we'll talk oh. talk about their careers uh, doing that. And uh, all of that, live from the bunker, noon central, uh, up through Thursday. And then we'll be back here next Monday. So that's it. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll be back <laughs> next week. Guys. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.